He's the host I would lead a secret investigation for because he recovered a bullet casing that cleared me from IA. He's slim. He's the host of the Paper Keg Podcast. This is episode 174. Welcome to the show. Paper Keg Podcast, where three friends for life-ish, maybe, life-ish, Get together and talk about books that they've read that week. And we'll also do a book club. Same book, we all read it, and we discuss it like professionals. The final part of Gotham Central. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, it's one of the biggest shows we've ever done. Maybe right the before, biggest. Right before our big anniversary episode, 175. Oh, yeah. My God. The quarter bicentennial, I think everyone calls it. Uh, you know, thanks for joining us. Paper Keg Podcast. We'll read your letters to close out the show. Letters at paperkeg.com. We're a part of the Paper Keg Radio Syndicate. You ever heard of this thing? Mm-hmm. Huh? It's real. You're it's about us. to hear about it everywhere. <laughs> Pentagonally. Oh, gosh. Jonesy talking in code, some kind of mason, stonemason code. I don't know what's happening. <laughs> now, you know, we got a lot of feedback in the last few weeks from new listeners, from my personal email. Love the show, so thanks for that. They just really do not like Jonesy Loves Beer. The numbers are in. The numbers are in. Least favorite host. Jonesy's approval ratings are in the toilet. I'm like Obama. <laughs> oh, I have Obama's approval <laughs> rating. Obama. <laughs> uh, now, Jonesy is a writer. He He's done it all. You know, he's got a, he's got a kid. Mind. He was, he was late true. tonight. He had to do, quote, chores over text message, he told us. Could be a fraudulent statement. As is, as is usually the case, but we welcome him with open arms back to the show. Jonesy loves beer. Thank you. You know, uh, I lost the paper keg den to make a playroom for my son. So uh, not only did I have to give it up, I also had to clear it out. And uh, that's sad. It is. That a is sad. You know. You know what my son's playroom is, Jonesy. Your whole it's house, because you're an apartment. apartment. Huh? Oh, man, let me squeeze out this tear. How was that caviar that you had for dinner this evening, <laughs> my friend? Uh, well, it was great, but the toast points were lacking. They were a little Please dry. Please fire your private chef and send him <laughs> back to whatever cave they came out of. He probably, uh, he probably cracked open a new bottle of Dom and shared it with mini Christian Bale over there. <laughs> they cleaned out the uh, show watching. den together. Always watching. 
Oh my! We have always watching. We me. have a VP of merch here at the uh, Paper Keg Radio Syndicate, social phenom, Twitter celeb. I mean, look at that face. How could you deny that face on the YouTube's? He's a father. He's got two kids. He's miserable most of the time, <laughs> as you can imagine. Two kids. Can you imagine it? Can you? You just get worn down to the nub, you know? Yeah. Dale, I, I want to congratulate you on getting that patent for the ether wet naps that you can carry in singles huge. around in your back pockets. Huge. It's going to be huge. It's going to be a great shift of wealth for you and the family. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's, I just really kept my nose to the grind and kept working at it, kept experimenting with different formulas. Formulas. <laughs> formulas. That's the plural. <laughs> And, uh, oh boy, that's, that's what we do. We, uh, I uh, do it. I rag them, and then I start pretend like I'm reading a book. I'll just start. That's, but I just that's start what saying, you're calling like, blah, a rag them, right? I hold the book, and then they just fade on out. Right, their arm goes limp like Hulk Hogan in a sleeper hold, uh-huh. and there is no Hulkamania <laughs> at the end of that. They just go to sleep. They just go to sleep, and I just toss them in bed and leave. That was one of the final names, Ragums or Vapors, right? Ragums. Um, you know, you had a you had a couple, <laughs> you had a couple top five names you're going to go with. Ragums got one out for number one. Listen, yeah. we're running out of tape. We need to pass love, over Dale's. Uh, I love my kids. Potential homicide jokes. <laughs> I love my family. All right, before we get this to take it too far. Gotham Central. Last episode, one of our biggest ever. First half of Gotham Central. Rucka. Broobs, Lark, Rucka, you know, and this second half, the final half, we're going all in. The whole rest of the series, some 18-odd books or uh, issues, I think uh, seven stories in total for the second half of this. The whole episode devoted to this title. Last week, we raved about it. Mm-hmm. For the most part, overall, 90% rave. I just that's not even really a, a a figure that we can quote, but we'll just do it. In this episode, we'll get back into it. Jonesy loves beer. Synopsis: King. Thank you for the kind words. Um, so, how do I do a synopsis of this book? Well, I'll tell you how, friends, <laughs> and that's uh. If people ask me, Jonesy, uh, if you were to synopsize the second half of Gotham Central, what would you say? And I'd say, friends, I think this book should have been changed from Gotham Central to Montoya and Allen. I mean, they are the heart and soul of the second half of this series. And not only that, there is an awesome paradigm paradigm shift that occurs here. You know, the first half of this incredible groundbreaking, groundbreaking <laughs> comic book series is that, and I have not been drinking, folks, is that Batman was a reluctant resource in the first 22 issues. Now, on the flip side, Batman is persona non grata in the GCPD. So the relationships we discovered uh, last volume, you know, when it, when it relates to Batman and the frustrations and kind of the elephant in the room that drove 
the first 22 issues, is a totally absent element in GCPD Volume 2. And because of that, we really get to focus on the characters, the detectives. And the Batman element, up until the final arc, really takes a distant backseat to Driver, Montoya, Allen, and Maggie Sawyer. And what you have is some of the best crime-solving comics. And what I think is probably the best series wrap-up arc that I can remember, that I have living memory of, of all the comics I've read. Maybe only Planetary being number one with this a strong number two. Uh, a swan song, a... It starts with a up, you know, with upbeat story right into like what I would consider a musical overture, and then a hyper active crescendo to the ending that is Gotham Central. Uh, almost so that I was trepidatious reading issue forty because I just did not want this to end. But Rucka and Brubaker have come together to make and uh, sit down. And if you're driving, pull over. Put your pants Maybe down. the best, the best limited DC comics ever made. Maybe the best. Wow, wow. Jonesy. Jonesy, you okay? You need to. Uh... Does anyone have an ether soaked rag? <laughs> Does anyone have a ragum? I can just <laughs> use on myself right now. <laughs> The um, man book, I just we call it part two, but it's the last two hardcovers. I actually was expecting after finishing the first half, I was kind of expecting the quality to slowly decline because that's how I viewed the the end of book two, and then going from book three to book four, holy smoke! Book four was, I mean the the last the latter part of the series is like Renee and Alan story at least in my book those are the ones that i really like give me some more of these two and man Mm -hmm. it went out with like a grand slam but not in like a happy-go-lucky grand slam but storytelling wise grand slam total i mean this this series this it's been good for the soul concentrating on this run the past two weeks of my life and to to ingest something wholeheartedly like this, it was a good it was a good decision that we chose to do all forty issues and two episodes and not just the first volume because this has clearly moved to be to possibly be like maybe a top five book for me. Absolutely, the best limited DC series ever made. And I was kind of wondering. Can you say limited though? I mean, yeah, I forty think, issues. Can you say I don't limited? I think it was really limited. At its in, at its onset, I don't know if you can say like it's a forty issue limited. Right, like you you can have a full series. It's definitely three plus years. It was ongoing yeah. for that's it's pretty good. Uh, then dare I say the best DC series? Oh my ever word! Jonesy just throwing go. out statements left and right I here. Listen, I'm I'm sure Flash fans just had plots when I said it, and but. I'm I might have said I don't know if it was the last episode, but I think. 
I kind of maybe inferred that DC canceled it because of low sales, but it actually wasn't the case. I looked it up and Rucka, they, I, Rucka has said that DC would have let him continue for however long he wanted to write it, but he for the rest of my life he wanted to continue with with Brubaker, and if Brubaker and Lark couldn't go on, then he wanted to go out and end the series on his terms. So this was this series ended on oh. on Rucka's terms, which wow. I thought was fascinating because if you just kind of go by internet hearsay and and one off comments, you just assume that DC is a, a s head and canceled the thing <laughs> right. because of low sales. And I actually did look up the sales, and it was getting beat by like junk comics towards the the latter stages of its run. It was appalling, and I was so stoked that Kano came on on art. I guess I just mentally didn't realize that he had done a Daredevil issue on Mark Wade's run, and I didn't put the two and two together because the cover for book four has kind of almost a anime style of Batman. I was like, is that Kano's art? Am I going to be reading some latter stage of a series junk art? And it was amazing. It's like a version of Chris Somney and and Steve Lieber put together as one Mm. artist. And I was like, man, can you imagine if Kano had done the entire series? Just as kind of like a complete artistic package. And I love Lark's art, obviously, but man, Kano's art was so Mm -hmm. great in this book. The, and that kicked in, I think on book four or the latter part of book three and into book four. But the, um, and if you didn't listen to the last episode and hopefully you did, but I mean, the short end of it is the Gotham city major crimes unit and their inner workings in the, in Gotham city with Batman kind of as a very, very side character, if at all. And the Corrigan character really, took over in the final half of this this series he was kind of alluded to at the beginning it's kind of being a deadbeat but somebody stuck up for him in the beginning i couldn't remember who it was if it was josie or not and then mm-hmm. renee thought that they were a couple but he's really the the glue that holds this book together and eventually brings it apart yeah it's what i now what i liked about the first episode that we did the first 22 issues was there was a lot of allusions to the gotham city pd being dirty and corrupt but you didn't get to see you didn't see a whole lot of it they didn't feature a lot of stories featuring it because they wanted to i think i think brubaker and and rucka wanted to just feature the detectives doing their thing and highlighting that aspect, whereas this this half of the series really gets into the corruption within a few members of the Gotham City PD and what how it affects these detectives and partners' lives and what it really does to them and how the uh, the corruption the corrupt people they don't give a crap as long as they're getting theirs. Yeah, the I mean there was the one issue which was in the final book that nature issue which could be one of my favorite single issues of the whole book. I mean, period. But the book one really opens up with Corrigan as the, as I guess you could say the, the main villain because he's, he is essentially, you know, he takes photos of the evidence, he catalogs it. And then when things go missing, they kind of just infer that he's, you know, he's doing it for himself and he's the culprit and he's kind of a dirty cop, but they never really get the proof. And, um, Jonesy, did you have like a quick synopsis for that Corrigan story? Maybe as we go down the books. Yeah, uh, the 
the first the the opening uh, story arc literally starts with a bang, and uh, Montoya and Allen are called to a crime scene where one of the D-list Batman rogues, and he's the spider theme one, and I, his name slips. It might just be Spider. It could just yeah, be Spider, like Black Spider, or something. So they kind of are ambushed without backup. Uh, the spider sprays Montoya with machine gun fire, and uh, Alan kind of busts in when he hears it. He kind of takes some blind shots, but he ends up killing the spider. And what occurs is that Cargan, who, uh, to Slim's point, has been a background character, uh, basically disappears a bullet to sell on the Gotham Black Mart black market version of ebay so he sells this round and it turns out that they need this round to clear alan of a a jackpot so you know it's basically one of those situations where alan he doesn't have a clean shoot because they can't recover all the hard evidence that will clear him of not hitting a um uh, a victim like one of the other criminals a lackey gets hit by a shell and he's he's got a hard case against Allen, and they need the one round, the one shell that'll clear him. And of course, Cargan, the you know terrible corrupt cop that he is, has already sold it, and so kind of sold Allen's career down the river. So Montoya um, goes out on a mission of revenge, puts it together that the round has been sold, puts it together that Cargan is the culprit, and one of the most important scenes of the book basically beats the living ass out of Cargan to <laughs> recover the info to get the round. And because of that, uh, first of all, she sets off, or she she unleashes in herself long-lasting anger issues. She In the moment she clears Alan, she also makes it impossible for Cargan to get arrested. So she sets up the rest of the series and a steady decline of integrity in, in the GCPD. And also, she kind of seals Alan's fate, spoilers, in the last issue. So, the first arc about Montoya's passion to save her partner and Alan's upstanding integrity is both the ending note of the series later on. So, it's... If you were to define what is Gotham Central about, I think these three issues answer that question 100%. And not only does she, the beginning of her downward spiral of just, you know, violence and, you know, beating people up as a way of unleashing what's going on in her head, but Esperanza, or Esperanzo, the character from Internal Affairs that really hammered her and making it look like she was the killer of that private eye. This was his payback to her as kind of like a sorry that we really hammered you. Yeah. And he, knowing full well that the case against Corrigan would be gone, but he helped her out to clear Alan's name. And Alan had no idea that this was happening. Which I thought, like... I mean, the this this storyline sets off such a chain of events for the for these characters and the police department that 
it comes full circle. Like, and I did not expect, um, I guess I should have, I didn't expect Rucka's writing to have such a finality towards all 40 issues. I mean, it, the, by the time you're done this story and then the final story, it's like a parallel to Bullock who, yeah, who, who went the other way that Renee did by the end of this story, which I thought was amazing how he was able to bring those two threads of a story together and they were so alike, but then very different at the end of the at the at the end of the series. But before we move on, um, and and I should have mentioned this when I was talking about it, Esperanza, I think, as a character, perfectly illustrates the level of gray that each officer in Gotham lives with day to day. I mean, here what you have is a cop who was ready to put the pressure on a fellow cop to close a case. And that was the uh, the murder that Montoya was pegged for, and then just as easily uphold a code of honor, yeah, which is also corrupt to get her out of it because he was in the wrong. I mean, if you want to talk about a character that that just like I said before, if this is the arc that sums up Gotham Central, Esperanza is the cop that defines what a what a Gotham City detective is what kind of state this is what their life looks like mm-hmm. in this one character uh, and for it to be such kind of a a b you know b story character and then kind of give you that revelation i mean ruck and brubaker were weaving something fantastic here that i can't believe i haven't read this until now it is just stellar i mean this is this is one of the most seminal works i think i've ever read mm-hmm. and before now moving off of Esperanza, um, to my other point, I I can't believe, and Slim is kind of marries with what you said. I can't believe this ending wasn't planned the entire run. If what you said was true, and Rucka was like, "Well, I ha- we had a lot more stories, but I wanted to end it on my own terms." These forty issues seemed like a perfectly paced action film. And I think definitely issues 26, 27, and 28, and then the final three, 38, 39, uh, 40, could have been a two-hour, two-and-a-half-hour thriller with uh, being a perfect closed loop. Closed loop, excuse me. Yeah, the and, that, and it's a, just a two-issue arc, but, at, but what you were saying about Esperanza being like the the example of... Good police, you know, he's good police, I guess you could, you, what you would say, what, what everybody else would say in the book, but it's just the 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 gray moral uh, areas that they have to kind of live in day to day and what, and make the right choices for themselves and the people they work for and to make the sacrifices they have to make, like Esperanza was probably working on that Corrigan case to try to bring him down, but he knew that he messed up in the previous arc and he owed Montoya and Montoya and Allen's relate, you know, re- partnership ran so much deeper that he knew what he was giving up, but he did it. And it, it was just, it was just beautiful, beautiful writing. I mean, what they do with dialogue and what they do for pacing and, and how the, how people, I, I said this, last issue or last episode I know but the way they just they speak to each other through dialogue 
and conversation is just completely natural. It's, it's beautiful. The um, There was one single issue story after this, which was Lights Out, which was when the commissioner decided that they needed to remove the bat signal because of how um, Batman was perceived as being, you know, on the outs and not helping them. And they, they decided to remove the, the bat signal. And there was a really cool moment at the end where you get some kind of on-screen time for Batman because he confronts the commissioner at the end of that issue in the parking lot and, you know, kind of tries to tell him, like, I'm on your side, you dummy. Like, that's, you know, what are you doing removing that signal? And there was a really cool um, interplay between the commissioner, this new commissioner, who is, you know, the total opposite of Jim Gordon, and how he views Batman, and how he wasn't going to be pushed around into thinking that, you know, Batman's the be-all, end-all of this city and his department. It was a great one-shot because you can, I mean... It, this is all fantastical, but you can only imagine, uh, you know, a new commissioner comes in and, it, you know, these detectives live with it day to day, but it, it this sets it up from the very first couple issues of Gotham, uh, Gotham Central. Just the fact that Batman is viewed as the final, the final answer anyway. Like, what do these cops matter? Batman's going to do what he wants, how he wants it. He's going to copy, I mean, he's going to have attitude. He's going to run investigations the way he wants, and he's going to, you know, whether that be hiding evidence or stealing evidence or or cleaning a crime scene before the Gotham, Gotham PD even get there. And who are, who is he? You know, these guys are just trying to do their job. They probably grew up. They wanted to be detectives. They wanted to be police when they were kids, and now they got their chance, and... Batman makes them look like putzes, you know what I mean? So it comes down to that line in the first volume where Driver says, "We all know that we only have until nightfall to mm-hmm. solve a crime." Exactly. And how great speaking of Driver, but later in the series where um is it Romy his the red-headed cop? How Oh uh, yeah, that's one of the best side stories. Oh boy, like his Driver was so fueled by not thinking Batman was a huge asset to the Gotham Police Department. And then he kind of... Romy is in his position that he was in the earlier portion where she wants revenge on Batman. She's so angry at Batman for having chosen this reporter, allegedly, instead of her partner, Nate, that she's still fueled by hatred, and eventually she has a chance to confront Batman. And she... I thought that was a great scene, too, where they intercept Batman and they shoot at him and he breaks her nose but she's like still kind of totally grief stricken by that and she's not over it and then Driver even says she's she's stunned by Driver's response about how you know he's really he's helping us out and she's like what what are you talking about you hate him just as much as I do and it was a really cool scene later in the story yeah I kind of like the I think the most Batman moment in the entire 40 issues, believe it or not, is, you know, the there's a side story where Romy has lost her, her duty weapon. When she fires on Batman, he kind of does some kung fu and takes it from her, and, like, in the same point, like, breaks her nose and, like, jumps out a window. So, you know, she has to report the loss of her sidearm to Maggie, but 
she's hesitant to do it because it's so embarrassing and and it'll have, you know, repercussions that a police firearm is now out in the wild. So who's who's the Stacy? The light girl. Stacy. Stacy <clears throat> ends up uh meeting up with Robin. It's kinda like, hey, you know, Romy is my friend and uh she's gonna get a lot into trouble if Batman doesn't give the sidearm back. So Robin, you know, kinda gets it back for Stacy to give to Romy and the most Batman moment of the book is not even said by Batman. It's Robin he goes he agreed to give this back. Uh, he just says, don't shoot him anymore. <laughs> and also, how great was that where Stacy is communicating with Robin and they're kind of forwarding the process of getting her back her gun and then she tells him about the gun and he goes off and swings away and she keeps looking to see where he goes and he lands on a water tower and Batman's there waiting for him. And she's <laughs> like, I knew it. How great was that to, just to see that Batman is still kind of pulling the strings and he knows exactly what's happening at every moment. Yeah. And yeah. He, he knew that Robin was there and he's just waiting for him to come back. I thought that was so awesome, that whole scene. And it was just a little tiny, like one panel of nine panels on that page, but it just, it, it, it explained everything you needed to know and all you saw was like his, a shadow of his cape on the water tower that Robin was landing on. It was just beautiful setup and bed art and everything just told in that one ninth of a panel of a page the uh next story in book three of four was on the freak beat uh it was from broobs uh it was kind of a Catwoman-ish mackenzie mcdonald storyline um i have to i think brubaker's stories were probably my least favorite stories in this i don't know if it was because of the shift that he wrote which i think was the night shift characters maybe and i just didn't have an as an as an attachment to those characters but for whatever reason they just didn't resonate with me as much as as rucka's stories but um this one was kind of a possible heist with a a prominent religious you know television evangelist figure and josie tries to get to the bottom of it and catwoman is involved and josie reveals in this story that she kind of has this almost premonition power. So she kind of is a freak in and of itself. And she doesn't want her partner to know. She doesn't want anybody in the force to know. And eventually, you know, her leading to solve this case is based on one of her hunches and her hunches turn out to be because she has some kind of secret power and Catwoman even finds out the end and during this kind of personal conversation between those two. And my wife pointed out that this was the reason why Mackenzie was always able to find her coffee cup, which I didn't realize until yeah, she yeah. pointed that out. <laughs> Man, you have an amazing marriage. Thank Slim. you. And I am, <laughs> yeah. Uh, what, what, did, uh, what did you think of on the freak beat, Jonesy? Uh, you know, I'm a, kind of a sucker for um, those strong female lead stories. Uh, so I kind of love the fact that we went left here and Catwoman and Mackenzie are the the stars, the, the movers and shakers of the GCPD uh, for this limited run. But I, I have to say you're absolutely right. I just wanted more first shift Rucka. And I would have done anything to get through this to get to more. But, uh, but and 
kind of to build up on that, I think of, of all the clever ways they could have used Catwoman, just her as a burglar trying to clear her name, kind of felt kind of like there's so many better ways they could have done it, that this was kind of like the obvious choice. I don't know. I, but, you know, I, I can't really talk a lot of ass. Catwoman's not one of my favorite characters, mm-hmm. so that could just be, you know, I'm mad because they didn't pander to me. But, you mean uh, they didn't have a full page of Catwoman making out with Batman to well, pander right. to your needs? Pretty, pretty much. I mean, yeah. can, can we not get Jim Lee in for this, this one splash page? I mean, <laughs> am I not worth it? Is is that what they're trying to tell me? Uh, but no, I, I liked her. I liked her power, which was very subtle, was just that if something's out of place, it talks to me. And it makes it makes me a better detective. It wasn't wild. She didn't have superhuman powers, but she just had this one offbeat, you know, thing about her that made her really good. And man, I wish I had that because I can never find S around my house, my work, anything. I I wish I was Mackenzie. I feel, I I really liked the the story arc because it kind of kept the pace for me of what Gotham Central was since the beginning and that and Ruck and well while obviously Rucka's stories especially in the second you know our second hand books three and four are just like really heavy stuff this seemed like a little bit lighter pace and lighter fare and uh, it was just a little something that focused on just a, another day in the life of Gotham City PD and I really like that because it just gave the series legs, and it and it just kind of um, it enabled the storytelling to go on, you know, like that for forty issues, a two issue arc like that was just I thought was really great to kind of pepper in in between the the heavy corrupt cop stuff and and stuff like that. So I I, I liked the storyline for that. Obviously, the I, I mean I really like the Marcus Driver character since you know his the first arc with mr freeze and you know mckenzie as his new partner is growing on me and stuff in their relationship and and it goes back to the way rubaker and rucka just write the relationships and the the easy dialogue between the partners and what they share and uh you know so even in this i I just really like the interaction between everybody i did i did also like that uh throwback almost like the black dahlia where there was kind of uh that old school pi that you know came to help uh mckenzie out and it was called you know it was kind of like a um and i don't want to say because i'm sure i'm going to be pigeonholed as soon as i say this but like there was kind of like a bad hollywood snuff film vibe and it was kind of like just reminding me of like L.A. Confidential, but with Catwoman. Mm-hmm. So I guess this. I guess I. Uh, I guess I could say the second issue re- redeemed this run, or this two issue run for me. I thought Jonesy loves backpedaling. Jonesy loves backpedaling at its finest. On the show, at its at its finest. I mean, if you uh, you're ready to print those shirts, we only have them available men's size extra medium. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We're gonna ship <laughs> those slim. right out. We're gonna need a whole new door. To ship those out. <laughs> Uh, Keystone Cops was the next story, and that one was a Rucka special, and it involved uh, the, the, Renee and Chris Allen 
Renee Montoya, and kind of a Silence of the Lambs-ish vibe that I got a lot in this story. And the main villain was the alchemist, I think, maybe? Yeah, Dr. Alchemy. Yeah, Dr. Alchemy. Dr. Alchem. Yeah, the I don't know how I felt about this one. This one I felt like a means to an end to show Renee's descent into exactly mm-hmm. bingo coming totally off the rails, and I um I wish there was more time to to show her kind of just emotional mental breakdown because it you don't get enough peppered scenes. I think this arc maybe is the first time you where you see her. Or maybe it's the next book with the where he, she goes out to the bar and just starts like picking fights with other women. Was that the next book, or did that start with this one? No, I think it started in issue thirty-eight. Okay, yeah, it so was it was the like later later part. But that one kind of kicks on strong, and so this is eventually, you know, this there's a cop that tries to rescue a kid in one of alchemy's alchemists kind of hideouts and there's a weirdo f- uh, fire that starts and turns him into this, you know, crispy monster. So they try to bargain with him, even though Batman specifically tells them not to. And all hell breaks loose. Did you catch uh, Cargan's joke? I think it was like the third issue where, you know, Chris Allen's name is Crispus. And he, and he said, he says, call him Crispius. Or something like that for some no. reason that <laughs> some reason Corgan's that was twisted hilarious. humor yeah, yeah. Sick. It was right up my alley. This one had give me some keys of coke, non cut. I'm gonna move him. That guy was the, he was on top of the world. This this story. For I'm this gonna book. move him. <laughs> I'm gonna move. I'm gonna. I'm gonna need a whole new door. This one. Um. This one had one of the weirdest ending endings. I think to a book that I just wasn't. It was like so abrupt that it stopped me in my tracks, where I yeah. was not expecting yes. it, and I was like, "How did this just become the ending?" And the you know they obviously bring the the bad guy to the the crispy cop that has been afflicted by this this some this weird uh, fire, and he says that he can cure him and revert him, but while hell breaks loose and the guy gets loose. And um, he's on the run and in the same area where he tried to save the boy, which happens to be Renee Montoya's town where she grew up. And that's why she wanted this case specifically because her father's shop was near there. And it it just ended out of nowhere. Like he's loose in the town and then the cop's old partner is kind of grieving at Montoya's father's shop and runs outside and shoots, shoots his partner in the head. I don't know why it just felt so abrupt. Like there wasn't enough buildup where this partner was a big part of the story. And I just wasn't expecting that kind of closure to that character's story. Especially, especially after a four issue arc, like it was, it was, I think it was the longest arc of all the issues we read. Maybe the bat, the Robin arc was just as long, but it just felt like there was a whole lot of story with four issues for it to end the way it ended. Yeah. And there was, it was there was it way was too weird. much build up that mm-hmm. just it just kind of deflated at the end. And I think for me, I mean I know they're the major crimes unit, but you know, and this is me splitting hairs at this point because it's all fantastic, but it just felt a little more 
even for, you know, they're in Gotham City, which is fake to begin with and all the stuff that goes on in Gotham City, but it felt the most fantastical and unrealistic of all the yeah. things that the Gotham Central Police Department would have to be put through with Dr. Alchemy and his fake fire and turning humans into, you know, root steroid monsters who are like it just felt which is crazy for me to say because i'm talking about a comic book anyway in gotham city but it just seemed a little more not grounded in reality as to what for compared to what every what every other case and every other story that it was about that that surrounded that's gotham central pd Mm -hmm. yeah i definitely agree you you have to like set your mind that you're you're in a comic book but you're not in a Superman kissing Wonder Woman in space comic. You're in a grounded in reality. Right. You you like set yourself up with the expectation that okay, I'm going to get a cop story. These were real people. They have real problems. Okay, now there's kind of a guy that's burnt to a crisp that is now as big as Brock Lesnar wreaking havoc and this is a little out there. <laughs> the um I don't want to backtrack a bit because I I said that I wasn't sure I didn't have enough of Renee's descent but i there was a lot in this book is because her father makes an appearance mm-hmm. and they haven't spoken since she finally officially came out to them and that was i think she even says it was like a year and a half ago and she, at the end of this case she goes and goes back to his shop to say hello and he doesn't really acknowledge her and he asks if she's still dating that woman and she says yes and then she just walks out when he doesn't talk to her so that was a little that was some bits and pieces of it um, but I think later in this later in this book, the father does show up again and tries to talk to her, but has a conversation with uh, her partner, Daria. Yeah, which I thought was a really cool possible bridge to some light mm-hmm. in that family, but it didn't seem like it ever happened. Now, before we get too deep back at that, <clears throat> back into the Robin run. Talk about fantastical done right was the single issue uh, Sunday Bloody Sunday, which was the Infinite Crisis crossover, and I I thought you know, you know it reminded me a lot of Marvels <clears throat> in that it's normal people watching the Fantastic and trying to cope, and this story is um, Alan and Montoya are kind of having that heart to heart with you know Montoya what's your problem with violence and you need to tell me what's really going on. And they're kind of like arguing in a car and they turn a corner and all of a sudden they see like Captain Marvel hit them in the hood. And he's like muttering like, Oh, the, the specter has uh, destroyed the eternal rock. And you know, it's like super heavy mm-hmm. old 52 <laughs> DC mythology. And Alan and Montoya are both like, we don't know what that means, but we're we're scared S-less because you're scared. Right. And uh, Yeah, he's like, if Captain Marvel is needs to run home to his family because he fears for them, what does that even mean for my family? Yeah, we're going to be eradicated. <laughs> so, eradicated. you know, Al, you know the, the cops, the single kind of, you know, the second shift cops, Driver and Romy and... You know, all those hard-bitten, no-family cops are like, all right, we're going to do our job and wait in. And Alan's like, well, I, I got to run. I got to get out of here. My, like, my family takes the priority. And the bookends of these, the issue are the first couple pages, Alan's pretty much like, I've seen so much weird ass I can't believe in God anymore. And then his journey 
through, I want to say, like, the desert. Like, it has a lot of religious overtones of him kind of, like, getting through the ruin of Gotham to find out that his family is okay, and then they all kneel together and pray. I mean, better than Marvel's, I think. And it's it said everything that Marvel's had to say in one issue. And probably maybe the standout single issue, and it's an infinite crisis tie-in. I mean, yawn, but this this issue was tops. Yeah. If you're if you're looking to shoehorn fantastic into a gritty comic book, the uh, I think around this time Sean Phillips starts coming on to do covers for the series, which were gorgeous, of course. Mm-hmm. And I think my favorite single issue wasn't that one, but Nature which was the one that had Poison Ivy on the cover, and I didn't know what the heck was oh, to was expect. One. But that one was the Gotham City corruption at its core. These two just awful cops that are trying to run down their like this drug dealer, and they find a homeless girl and swing her, you know, witness them, you know, doing their corrupt things, and they try to grab her and swing her against this dumpster, and they break her neck, and she's dead, this homeless you know, run away. Yeah. God, I felt so awful reading the story. And then they're just, they just go about their lives being awful cops for 20 pages. And then they yeah. decide, well, maybe it's time for us to get a bigger score and they have to, you know, get some of this evidence out of, um, out of the police station. So they use Corrigan for help. And, it was just such a great story. They finally get there to to deal with what they assume is Black Mask, I think, and they're going to make this big score, and it turns out it's Poison Ivy who tricked them into getting alone with her because she knew that runaway, and she was one of her children, you know, in her little kind of creepy group, and she took care of them at the end of that issue. I thought it was amazing. I loved it. Yeah, first time in history I was like, go Poison Ivy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it it was a great way to kind of, you know, feature obviously a Batman villain cause, because you're in Gotham City and it was just a really cool way to tell a story about that. It didn't feature Batman, you know, having a, a words war with Poison Ivy and trying not to get kissed on the lips by her lipstick. Like, words war. Like, it, it, it wasn't, it was more than that. And Pamela, just, <laughs> we can get you through You can this. come with me. You can turn away from this life of crime. <laughs> Kiss me. I could be the one that changes you. Jim Lee is drawing us right now. We have to kiss. <laughs> oh, my God, we're Jones so Jonesy is reading. <laughs> Pamela... Now you kiss Catwoman. Now you kiss me. <laughs> now I kiss Catwoman. I think that's just you with the Bruce Tim action figures on your kitchen table right now. <laughs> the uh, so that that issue was fantastic, and I think that leads into the last two, which are Dead Robin and Corrigan Two. And the Dead Robin one was, and I think we didn't mention it before, but Jonesy, uh, do you remember the name of the reporter? Is it Lippin Pippin? Lip Lippin. Lippin. He's Lippin. I noticed it in the first book, but didn't say anything. But he is drawn to look like Greg Rucka. Like that is Greg Rucka. Is it? Yeah. Really? Yeah. I, I the earring on the first time I saw him was a dead giveaway. But and that's who I thought <laughs> yeah, of. You're absolutely. That's what right. I thought of every time I, I read it. Um. But what, what was the Dead Robin story? So, uh, the GCPD. Well, first of all, Cargan 
uh, is a a ruthless S in this issue, and you finally get to see just how awful he is. Um, and in the midst of Cargan, like really taking the descent into the worst detective ever, detective ever, um, we also have a serial killer pop up. And that killer is leaving dead models dressed up in, like, pitch-perfect Robin uniforms uh, all over the city to be discovered. And the detectives are flummoxed because the the main part of the case is, is this the real Robin? How do they know it's not the real Robin and it's not possible to bring Batman in for questioning? And not only that, there's a theory going on that there there has been multiple Robins. So can they even corroborate that this is part of the team and that he's dead? And beyond that mess, how do they even begin to catch the killer? So the family, I mean, this I think this arc showcases the best what it's like for the cops to interact with the community of Gotham City. Because they have to interact with the family of the victims, they have to interact with the local leadership, and more importantly, they have to navigate their relationship with the press. And while they're investigating the death of these Robin clones, if you will, uh, Lippman is getting some very inside information about the crimes and he's publishing it without really consulting with Maggie Sawyer. So basically they call off their professional relationship. But you learn uh, Lippman um, sits down for breakfast with one of his colleagues and his name escapes me. Uh, but he's also like another press guy. And uh, he's basically telling his woes like, hey, these pictures aren't, my doing they were just paired with my article but the principle is that maggie can't just tell me to out my source that's just not how it's done so like keep that in back of your mind so they continue to try to find out who is killing the robins and they find that there's a third victim so they bring lipman in they have his business card the the, the kid who is missing who's going to be the third dead robin has Lipman's business card in his pocket. And so they bring him in, they arrest him for murder. And only at this point do you realize that Lipman's press friend has been setting this up all along so that he could give Lipman the exclusive. And by doing that, he's going to shoehorn himself, who is like a regular Joe, into the world of Batman. He wants to be a villain. He wants to be a rogue. He wants to be in their world. So he very easily sacrifices three lives mm. to get there also that he can, you know, be part of Batman's world. And kind of, he gets his comeuppance in, in kind of the best way. There's an awesome scene in the last issue where they're pretty much, pretty much like, well, fine, we're going to, we're going to break the rules and call Batman. And uh, Maggie has like this interaction with the new commissioner where he's like, you're joking, right? You want to put the bad signal back up? Right. This this is a terrible joke. And he's like, but you have to understand this boy's life is at stake. And they walk out. And she's like, but that would have been a great joke. He's like, yeah, I can fire you just for saying that. <laughs> I mean, some great dialogue here. So they go uh, 
They go onto the roof, and in another great Batman moment, they have a like spare signal from Blue Beetle, and it's like this neon green, like easy to set up, like just you know kick it, and it'll do the bad signal. And and Stacy's like, I kind of like the old one better. He's like, all we did was paint a bad signal on a flashlight, and she's like, yeah, I still like it. <laughs> so Batman shows up. And they explain it to him, and he's but, like, "But it's like they turn the bat signal on, and Batman's just been there the whole time. Like he's yeah, he's he just like on the roof. Like it feels like he's like was just playing with a Chinese finger trap, just waiting for that light <laughs> to go on. He was so bored, so he's like, kill the lights, the whole place, the box, all of it. And in that that like the Dark Knight interrogation scene, I feel like was based on yeah this issue." Because he just appears in the box, and he's like, you wanted to meet me, huh? Well, here I am. And you just see like the sound effects of beating this guy into a bloody pulp. Great. Uh, I mean, this run just put a smile on my face about how cool it was and how referential to the mythology it was while still just still being about this group of detectives. Yeah, the, 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 uh, the interrogation room scene was just great because all the whole... Gotham Central run, Batman is just in people's faces, copying attitude and screaming at them. So when he gets in the when he gets into the interrogation room and he's like, he has to stoop so low as to this is the only way he could save the boy's life is he wants this guy wants a piece of Batman. He wants to be in Batman's face and he's just like Batman's just standing on the interrogation table, like crouched over in his face, and he's like, This is what you wanted, this is what you got, and he just starts tossing him around. It's just because he's just like, I got, Batman's just like, I got things to do. I got to get back up on the roof. I got to get back to that rooftop. <laughs> yeah, I got to get back up there you and wait shut for that him light to uh, turn the light on for me again. Wasn't there a line where even the commissioner's like, how is it possible yeah, yeah. that you were here so quick? <laughs> but it was, But it was cool because, like... Captain Sawyer found a way to bring in the Teen Titans and have them interrogated, like, so they can kind of help realize whether the real robin has been murdered or not like how do you guys yeah, know she calls it? lois lane he, yeah 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 and he and lois lane makes the connections but cyborg shows up and it's really awkward like you don't think about it but captain sawyer's like so one of you guys has guardian papers legal guardian papers for all these roused about kids <laughs> for all these kids <laughs> cyborg is like yeah uh gar and i do which is animal animal boy or whatever the heck his name is we uh we carry a lot of ragams in these <laughs> yeah. uh, diaper bags we're their legal guardians we fight crime together there was a cool moment in that book too where they found the first robin and montoya kind of just made them stop for a second like should we actually find out who this is because if this is really robin maybe this will also uncover who batman is do we want to know who batman is i thought that was a really cool question because you know what do you do when you do find Mm -hmm. a dead superhero that has a secret identity like what's the protocol with the secret identity stuff i thought that was a really cool moment there was just so many questions tossed around like what kind of door would this open what if this is batman's son nobody knows if it's batman's son or not and it's just it was crazy the uh, final book corgan 2 deals with Alan Montoya's partner digging more into um, Corrigan because he finds out about the fight uh, that Renee had with him in the alley and he's growing really concerned about her kind of almost depression with how she reacts to things and uh, 
Uh, Jonesy, you do it better than me. <laughs> do I? Do I though? Or is it just such a, a, such a tiring task that you both. have no desire Maybe to both. do it? So it's late. Yeah. as as <laughs> it's late. as I mentioned, and I have many more synopsis to go. Um, so as I mentioned before, Cargan is really becoming a snotty ass. And uh, <laughs> nice, I see what you did there. So <clears throat> now you just derailed me. So Cargan is basically shows up to this one other like corrupt cop, and he's like, "Hey, let me get some uncut kilos of cocaine, <laughs> and I'm going to sell it on the street." Cut to Alan is following Montoya at night and making notes about her. Uh, bar fistfights she has with other women and you know he's also following Cargan to see where he's going <clears throat> and in a tense moment in the squad room they're both like what is up with each other like Alan's been disappearing Montoya's just being a total jerk and like beating people up and they don't really resolve it so Alan goes to leave and Montoya like sees like a file with like the edge of her shirt on it and like yanks it off of Alan's desk and discovers that he's been trying to take down Cor- or well first she discovers that there's just a file on Corrigan. So she busts down to Esperanza's office like, Hey, did you know about this? Like, uh, you know, are you encouraging Alan to are you working with Alan to take down uh, Cargan, and he's like, no, of course not. We would have ruined any investigation we had because you beat the living pee out of him in a back alley to get a bullet casing. So they both kind of come to the conclusion that Alan's trying to make it right. He doesn't. He doesn't like the fact that Matoya dirtied herself to clear him. So he's going to he's going to stop Corgan on his own. And Esperanza again. Riding that gray line is like, you know, we never had this conversation. I never saw that file. And I certainly couldn't corroborate it or else you really couldn't get Corrigan. So she's, you know, she's at it on her own. Uh, Alan is kind of misled. You know, he, he gets seen talking to the, the cocaine uh, cop and uh, is set up by Corrigan and his floozy uh, girlfriend. Uh, Alan is kind of ambushed and shot by the special Glock that shoots uh, rifle rounds, and is killed. What a what a shocking death! I did not anticipate nope. him to die at any point of the series. Not a hundred, not a hundred years that I think any of these detectives would be murdered. I thought I thought the main core group was going to survive it, but Alan does not, es- and, especially uh, through such a just nefarious corrupt means like just oh, a guy yeah on the like inside. the worst Awful. way to go yeah i mean you you're so close to an investigation that you know presumably would go nowhere but then he's set up by these cops i mean killed by cops and i mean even from the get-go of this story corrigan is cock of the walk he walks into that investigation on the onset of this book like he's the king ass of that city <laughs> and even the other cop the cocaine cop even notice he's like you you know you need to realize some of these people aren't on your payroll here and it's just so in your face and you want nothing more than just strangle corrigan this entire book because he Mm -hmm. thinks he's untouchable and he knows that uh renee 
getting that bullet from him tainted any possible investigation on him. So he knows he's untouchable because they knew about his corruption and they used it to kind of get um, uh, Chris out of harm's way for that one investigation. But, man, and there's also that great interplay where she's really down in the... She's really as down as possible and she's beating people up and he's out at night searching Corgan and they ask each other, she's like, what are you doing at night? Uh, and he's like, well, what are you doing where well, you're awake when I call you or, you know, when I call you're not there. So they both just... Or, or your girlfriend calls my wife at 3 a.m. looking for yeah, you. Yeah, so that both shuts both of them up. So they stop mm-hmm. asking. Yeah. And I thought that was a great moment, but you talked about uh, Jonesy like a strong female character, and I know a lot of Montoya. women readers kind of are put off by that phrase, but this I think what Renee Montoya is like the what I, is what I see in in a Heath Houston character. He's a strong yeah. character, but hugely flawed uh, because of their life, and I think you see that in Renee and in this story you see she's she doesn't even she has a woman who loves her and yet she gets she has so many quote demons that she needs to go out to clubs at night and just get drunk and fight people because of how miserable she is in her own head yeah to to your point kind of off off the beaten path of talking about comics I mean the reason I enjoy anything with a strong female lead and I don't say that to to upset anyone but i think that you know the comics medium made is like a big embracer of telling sexless stories i mean you don't have to genderless stories you don't have to be a man to be to carry a story on your shoulders and i think uh that's the reason why i enjoy comics so much is because i think tv and movies are so sexualized and genderized where like it's like, oh, there's a strong female character. Like, isn't that novel? I mean, I've been reading it for years already beyond TV and movies. The fact that it hasn't crossed over to other mediums sometimes astounds me because you're telling stories about characters and shouldn't be about anything else. And so I don't want anyone to think that I'm being sexist when I say I enjoy strong female leads. I, I enjoy it because it's something I'm already familiar with and... That's one of my tastes. Yeah, yeah, and I agree. I didn't think you meant it that way anyway, but I just think it's uh, interesting that, you know, they're, I think female readers get to a certain point where they get tired of hearing that phrase because mm-hmm. yeah. they don't get it, and when someone trumpets it like a writer, they kind of just yawn. But, I mean... Well, it, it definitely shouldn't be a tool to sell. Yeah. Yeah, because nobody ever says, oh, this features a strong male lead. <laughs> right, every, you know every I mean? book that ever. Would, <laughs> yeah, that would just be asinine. <laughs> right. So I, I do get it. The um, But man, I mean, I want to, uh, just reading this story, and we haven't gotten to the end of it, I would I want a Renee Montoya fear agent, you know, 28 God. issue, 30 issue book, <laughs> where she, I want to, I want to, like as awful as it sounds, I want. Slim, I'm only about a foot and a half from my liquor cabinet, <laughs> so you better be. I want a Renee Montoya ongoing, and I think she's in 52, that weekly book, but who who gives a crap? But I want like a Renee yeah. Montoya. Yeah, she is in that. I, yeah, I want a Renee Montoya um, drinking, fighting, down in the dumps, trying to make her life better, failing, trying again, failing, trying again, maybe getting it right, and then the series ends. That's just that's all I want forever. 
Now, I want you to take your ball cap off because I'm about to blow your mind. <laughs> All right. Uh, show friend Bex Gordo and I were uh, tripping the life fantastic earlier on Twitter. <laughs> Uh, when Lord. she, when she basically told me that there was a planned, alias style, limited run comic starring Montoya, forty issue limited, forty issue <laughs> limited best, probably the second best DC book ever, <laughs> and uh, she was going to be like alias. It was going to be all about her and her personal life and her interactions with the D list of Gotham City. And it never happened, and that makes me eternally sad because that's the series you want was this close from happening. Which, I mean, that's it stinks. It really stinks that it didn't happen, but it just made me think like Rucka just funneled that into Stumptown somehow. Mm. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah, Like if, 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 if the powers that be at DC didn't let him or... And I think it was because of the New 52 or something that you mentioned that... I think that, yeah, that's, you know, th- me and Bex were, you know, throwing around a wall and just see what stuff. But I think maybe he just took, like, some, maybe, maybe uh, this is all, you know, me tripping the light fantastic uh, of assumption, but <laughs> maybe he, like, he had ideas and he turned those ideas into Stumptown in some yeah. way or another. Yeah, yeah, I can, t- I can definitely see that. And after, I mean, the scenes where she, uh, Renee Montoya is told that her partner is dead and the funeral scene where she's in the house of, you know, his family and the wife, you know, asks like, you know, I, we, why didn't you come when they told me we really could have used you? And she just kind of, she's just in another world. She is just so broken down and she's off in the distance. And then even that scene, um, probably another Bex Gordo waxing fantastic. The scene where she goes outside and meets with the boys, his sons, and how they're coming to grips with how he's not coming home. And one of them says, like, you know, it sounds effed up, but I kind of wish it was you and, and not my dad that was killed. And then she even says, like, I, you know, I think that way too. And she just walks away. Good grief. Goodness. Mm, just, grief. It's it's crazy because she she's such a strong female lead. No, but she's <laughs> like, she's just a strong human. The, the, what she's been through in the 40 issues that we've read. I mean, she's, she was forced to come out. She, and she like end up and her girlfriend was in the car while she went to tell her family the truth. And like the, the strength that she had to do all that. But then she just like starts falling apart. And it's just crazy. It's just crazy to see, to see her go, well, go like that. Let's talk about the redemption of Renee Rentoy in the final issue. Uh, it is all at a fever pitch, and uh, she uh, she is on on the. I mean, she's on the precipice. She's about to go. You know, she has a conversation with uh, Alan's kids, and basically, that's the breaking point. Like she is at the bottom she's she can know far fall no further down we we haven't even and, mentioned that the investigate about the investigation that they tried that has totally right. failed and blown up in their face right Cargan like is one step ahead of them and basically shuts down the investigation so you know the whole precinct is rallying around montoya they they all work together they all put aside their differences they get this guy lined up and he has somehow switched the pistols so that the ballistics don't match. So they did all that work for nothing. Uh, Montoya goes to the funeral. 
uh, has a conversation with Alan's kids, basically is is like has lost it, decides to go to Cargan's, breaks through, like just smashes to the door with like a pinky finger. Like it, it just, the whole scene was her just like, her rage erupting through a wall. Uh, and basically she puts a gun to Cargan's head mm. and is you're like, okay, this is how it ends. Like Montoya's going to jail. Montoya is now Bullock. And basically Cargan becomes a weeping willow, soils himself, cries, like loses all of these qualities that we were scared of him for and basically is, becomes a helpless child. And in that point, there's like a brilliant four panel page where Montoya like looks angry. Okay, I'm going to do it. And then interface is like, this is not worth like this piece of S is not worth throwing my life away. So the end, the coda of the series is her going to Maggie Sawyer and Maggie's like, what are you doing here? You need to take time off so you can get back to the forest. And she's like, no, I'm done. Badge gun. She's out. And somehow you kind of get the feeling that she's going to start making better choices. I don't know. Yeah, but I th- I think it's I think it's just her forfeiting her badge and gun because she knows she's in a lot of trouble. And uh, yeah, I, I guess I. But that was oh, you mean poetic. she she gave up her badge because she busted in on him and tried to rough him up? Oh, uh, yeah, she would, she would probably get yeah, I think, fired I for think, that. I think that's that's the way I saw it is she, I mean, she was so close to killing him and he's lucky that she didn't, but she knows she effed up big time and Corrigan's probably going to get away scot-free and she's just giving up her badge and gun preemptively because she, I think she knows she's in a lot of trouble. Really? I, I read it as... She uh, she was finished with the believing in the force to kind of do and solve what was right, and she couldn't bring herself to kill him. Much like, or you know, the unlike Harvey Bullock paying someone to to or tipping off the mob to kill the person that almost killed Gordon. Hmm. I viewed it as her being stronger than Bullock and stopping at the last moment. But I yeah. but I also viewed it as hers as her kind of giving up on the police force. Like the system failed because yeah. it's so corrupt yeah, and yeah, she yeah. couldn't deal with it anymore. She's like, I'm, I am I don't have anything left in the tank to deal with this anymore and I'm giving up. Not me not giving up, but... No, no, I... No, I... This is not the I way. do believe that too. Like she... And she was inches, centimeters from making a, a, a much more worse mistake. But yeah, I, I, I definitely see that too. She has definitely given up on justice. And I, I'm, I'm, fa- I just so want to know, like, does she go home after that to I her know. partner, or does and, she go to the bar? And guys, that's the end of the series. That's it. Yeah, that's we'll the never end know. of Gotham Central. We're never gonna get Montoya. I mean, maybe anyways. we do. She, she shows up in Fifty Two, that weekly book that everyone ends mm-hmm. all over themselves with J guards left and right. And Which she's is a character in it, but I don't know. I think Rucka wrote some she, of that story. Montoya. I don't know. I don't know. I don't I, know if I want to know. Yeah, you you mm. you don't want to know because it's like Astro City Volume Two. Oh God. God, let's not say that. <laughs> Nothing can come. Come on, stop it, please. <laughs> yeah, we can't even imagine. But man, I'm. I just can't believe you know. It, this happens time and time again where we say people tell us a book is great. Or people are like, oh, you should read this. It's amazing. And then we finally do it, and it's amazing. 
mm-hmm. and I, we just feel like yutzes. Like I, you're I, yutz for not having yeah, read this entire absolutely. series. But I, th- but but for Gotham Central, I think we get a pass because we. It's not like people were pressing on us big time. I mean, I think maybe Mark Farrington told us we needed to read it, but he told us we needed to read everything, and he's dead now. You need to read JSA number six hundred and fifteen because yeah. the Flash puts on and his boots. Different. I mean, we should know better that. I mean, it's Brew Baker and Rucka together, but mm. it's also like it's Brew Bucka. But but it's also like I think maybe we're thinking it's just about a Gotham City Police Department. Like, it's is it going to be fantastic? Would right, it, and, it and in my head, I was like, "Oh, I heard this book was canceled." Does that mean like the it starts to get like junk towards the end, mm-hmm. and they have filling artists? Like, why would I want to read that? And it was totally the opposite. It got better. It got yeah, it got better. It went out on its own accord. It's, I mean, it's 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 amazing. It's amazing, fantastic. I mean, you can see, and it's it, it on the single issues. It's you know, Harvey Harvey Award winner, Eisner Award winner. Like, it's legitimate. In the eyes of professionals, everything it's 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 up there. You guys need to check it out. the The, the trades just came back in print, so it's uh, you got to get on it. I mean, it's it's top five. I think it's a top five book, <sighs> best DC series ever made. Now, is that ahead or behind Astro City? I think you might have said Astro City was number one recently, <laughs> and yeah, and it's. Th- yeah. He looks like emotionally weakened yeah. just by me asking that question. <laughs> it is, and it's because it, the only problem is that I'm so distanced from Astro City. It's been a while since I've read it that I know once I started reading it again, I would be back. That would be my number one, but it's just maybe, and then maybe that's what I need because it's just been so long since I've read Astro City. And I just started listening to a podcast with Kurt Busick on it, and it he's talking about how Astro, you know Astro City is getting started, and how he had uh, like some Avengers stories that he reworked for Astro City because he it, they didn't want them mm-hmm. at Marvel, and mm-hmm. oh man, mm-hmm. God Lord! <laughs> but Gotham, back to Gotham Central. I mean, it's it's imperative. Gotham Central, and like I said, it's good for the soul. We read forty issues in two weeks. Mm-hmm. God, it felt it didn't feel like a chore. I'll tell you what. Oh yeah, I, I finished yesterday. When was the last time that happened for you a finished book all over yesterday? I finished I everywhere. <laughs> Jonesy, that's inappropriate. That's, that's disgusting. <laughs> Wait a in this show. My disgusting. Gosh. I'm disgusting. Jonesy Loves Beer does not speak for Paper Keg Radio Syndicate oh, or its subsidiaries. The great troll eye of the universe has set itself on you. We got your letters. You know, Jonesy, that was even I'm gonna inappropriate. Open up. That talking about how <laughs> inappropriate I'm going to read them to you. I think, uh, I, I don't think I should read the first yeah, one. Yeah, I was just going to insist that I read the first one. It's I, a little, I, got a little I bit mean, of a length to it. It's about 40 it's, paragraphs. I mean, it's long. I wasn't even sure if we we're going to read the whole thing. I thought we might get an abridged. I was paging through it. I was like, this is kind of long. It's kind of long. Paging. We're going to... Uh, Just do it justice, Dale, yes. please. You, I mean, we don't want to repeat <laughs> of the event that shall not be named uh, can, from can episode 173. Don't you cue, don't you cue up anything over there. Yeah, you just no. keep that cue in your pants. <laughs> inappropriate. Inappropriate. This, it's inappropriate. Slim. This, I can't even get through this letter. This letter uh, comes from at under an anchor on Twitter, Sean Gregory Miller. 
Hey guys, I picked up Detective Comics number 35 based on Slim's recommendation, and let me tell you, I gobbled that thing up harder and faster than the penguin ate that sandwich at the end of the first episode of Gotham. (laughs) Don't really read Detective, but I'll be returning for number 36. Speaking of Gotham, what the H is going on in that show? Don't know if you've been keeping up with it, but for that last episode, for me, was filled with laugh-out-loud moments. First off, does Jada Smith know that her character is not Catwoman? It's like she went... It's like she went to the Eartha Kitt School of Acting after being assigned this role. What is up with Alfred? Seems like he secretly beats the tar out of little Bruce Wayne. Can anyone understand a GD thing that comes out of his mouth? I sure can't. The vigilante slash villain in this last episode was, spoilers, the Balloon Man. That's right, Balloon Man. He punishes the corrupt by attacking, attaching weather balloons to them and lets them float away into the atmosphere only to plummet to their death after the balloon pops. I laugh so hard when the first victim is handcuffed to a balloon and ever so slowly rises into the sky while screaming his head off. Why balloons? It's the most elaborate, ridiculous, far-fetched way to kill someone. Why not just shoot your victim? I mean, it's Gotham. Penguin is literally stabbing people left and right in the show. But I get it. Every villain of Gotham has to have some weird kink, and this guy happens to prefer balloons to gu- to knives and guns. Which brings me to my next point. The police department is freaking out about who the next victim will be until they can catch this guy. Here's the thought. Why not issue a freaking pea shooter to every public official in Gotham until you find him? Problem solved. Oh, no, BB guns are... S- Oh, no BB guns are sold in Gotham? Welp, you're all effed until the balloon man is brought to justice. I mean, how scary is a villain anyway if you can thwart his attacks with a pointy stick? Lastly, after the insert heavy sigh here, balloon man is caught. He tells Gordon that there will be more like him to stand up to the corrupt. Cut to a steely-eyed Lil Bruce... Lil... Bruce Wayne watching the news, scribbling notes about the balloon man's capture and slowly piecing together that this form of vigilante justice is most effective had balloon man not killed his targets. Are we being led to believe that the balloon man inspired Bruce to set off down a path that would eventually turn him into Batman? I also forget to mention that in this episode before this, Selena Kyle rips a guy's eyes out with her bare hands off screen and doesn't have a single drop of blood on her fingers to show for it. Did anyone catch that? Anyway, as goofy as it is, I can't stop watching. Maybe it's because I love all things Batman related. I may even secretly love the show. I hate to say it, but it seems I just can't get enough. If you want to start, if you ever want to start up a new PK drinking game, this is your show. Signed, Sean Gotham Apologist Miller. I need, to, I need some water. I think that, I think there's that some kind of stupendous. Tale. There's some kind of underground paper keg listener uh, troll where they just write in the longest letters <laughs> that they could possibly can. Intentionally, just Maybe. to get us to, yeah. Yeah. to they, they're, they're all high fiving right now. Mine was the longest. They're they're having they have a <laughs> yeah. stopwatch. Our good friend at Red Lantern is like the leader of this underground well, he, letter he re- fight club. He retired on top, but now. Mm-hmm. I think uh, I actually didn't even think that was the long one that I read. I thought Ren Mike D sent one in that was longer. It might be than that. Boy, they probably have their like their letter times and their form signatures on their secret PK listener forums. They have a ring that just presses their symbol into the paper, six which they don't write with hot wax. All right, print it out, and it's just hot wax seals the letter. Uh, our next letter comes to us from friend of the show at very exciting. He writes, 
Howdy, fellas. What I think of the new religion you guys are starting around Tom Cruise and his films. Now, all I can say is, where do I go to take my Cruise electrom- uh, electrometer stress test? I totally ruined that joke for you, and I apologize. Might I suggest a movie to watch as part of Cruise Cast? I'll do it in quotes and see how long it takes uh, for you to get the movie. It won't take much. Quote, she looks like a moth, David. Red dress, strappy shoes. I think she's the saddest girl to ever hold a martini. The sweet is never as sweet as the sour, and I know the sour. David Jr. was a delight as a child. What is happiness to you, David? I will tell you in another life when we are both cats. Tech support. Anyway, that's maybe too many. Uh, line that sucker up, boys. Thanks at Very Exciting. Slim, do you know what All is? great Vanilla Sky quotes. Maybe. One of the greatest movies uh, ever made by human beings on planet Earth. Can't wait until, you know, one day we're all watching Vanilla Sky together talking about it. I mean, that's that's a dream that we can have. And we'll be posting it to our PK host forum <laughs> yeah. with our dreams in our forum signatures. <laughs> Update the wiki. Uh, someone is updating. Someone is updating that wiki. How how did you what? know that it was getting updated, Jonesy? <laughs> I get an email notification when there are updates. I don't think Jonesy does, and he just quickly jumped to the fact that it was getting updated. <laughs> well, jo- Jonesy now can probably update full entire web pages on his new phone. He's just <laughs> real time editing huge web pages because I, he can see it. I can multitask. Oh boy. Um, Next letter, Dale. Yeah, this is this is from Ren hour D. hour twenty one minutes right now. But Let's just keep that in mind, please, in the back I, of our heads. I don't know if you prepped for this, Jonesy. I sure did not prep for this. Uh, he included reading instructions on how to read this letter. Oh God, no! I did not prep any kind of music, so you're, we're gonna have to. Do, do I have enclosed reading so instructions. You... Please have Jonesy. Please have the Jonesy adhere to noted dramatic pauses and allow the background music to swell as he savors every word of this letter. You you guys could just picture Jonesy reading this. The music selection should be intimate and heartfelt. Note, please avoid Coldplay. I wouldn't want the tape ruined by Slim's one-armed J-Fest at hearing one Christopher Martin. (laughs) Lastly, I trust Mr. Love's Beer's artistic choices when it comes to tone, and we'll leave that to him. Uh, Start scene. The music starts. Hello, gentlemen. Hold for a moment, but not long enough to steep whole leaf tea. (laughs) Loving the show as always. The music will be swelling at this point. I recently picked up a little hardcover from Michael Cho called Shoplifter. Allow time for Dale to refi his mortgage and place an order. (laughs) It's a nice little slice of lifer with beautiful artwork with an early 60s feel. The the story started a bit broad, but by the end, I found it was thoroughly satisfying portrayal of that life, that point in life when you realize the idealities of youth have passed you by. Break for contemplation. The main character is a woman in her late 20s that comes to the fork in the road where she will either trudge on in the career that pays the bills and nothing else or go for the dreams of you and break from the main mundane. Break for Jonesy to sigh about his writing career. If if Slice of Life is your thing, I'd recommend it. Take care, gents, and thanks for all the great shows. The music starts to fade. Michael. End scene. Very artistic. Thanks, Mike. Uh, Shoplifter. 
If that's if that's legit hardcover, if that's what you're telling me right now, run Mike Day. He's already started the refi listen uh, procedure. Coldplay's listen. last album has some real great tracks. Oh boy, don't Ink. knock it until you tried it. I that song I wanna... Ink. He wrote he wrote that for his uh, Lost Lady Love. It's a beautiful song. You know, we all know it's hip. It's hip to not like bands like U2, Pearl Jam, Coldplay. What? Who said it's the, the internet, internet Jonesy? Look it up. Well, look up open the internet. Up. Open your eyes, Jonesy. Open up I that 12-inch want... phone of yours out of your <laughs> backpack. I just want to get you a trucker hat that says the One-Arm J-Fest. Because that was one of the best one-liners ever read on this program. Uh, next letter comes to us uh, from Don Garvey, a uh, friend of the show. He writes, it bothers me that everyone <laughs> gives Slim a pass. Whenever the subject of how everyone hides from him comes up, it challenges my masculinity, and I want to link to my email and show you all how it's done. Dale can do it. He's one of the best I've ever witnessed, but he doesn't. I don't either. But Why? I've made it a mission to study how Slim does it, uh, meaning here deflects trolling, uh, and I figured it out. It's quite brilliant, actually. Uh, number one, be yourself. It won't be long before someone fires a shot across your bow, as men do. Now, I want to point out real quick, this letter was about trolling Slim and once again has turned into defending Slim. Like, he doesn't even know he did it. Backpedaling and Slim is so great. Number two, respond to said shot, especially if it's minor, with the full force of seven hurricanes bearing the payload of 40 Enola Gays, monkey with a shotgun time, a wave motion cannon, straight to the crane kick, no hesitation. Number three, repeat every now and then at appropriate times, set examples. End result, live the rest of your life troll-free. No one with any sense of their head will bother because it's not worth the hassle. <laughs> he started out trying to troll Slim, and then was like, Slim is so great, let me tell you why, in three easy steps. It's and, kind of a troll, though. That was. I came up with some trademarkable term for it, but I don't remember now. Attack Dog Sensei or something. Well done. Keep up the good work. Trolling Jonesy is so 2013. I'm not going to just sit here and reveal my troll secrets. Yeah. You know? You don't just. I just want to know. You don't at practice. what point did you Jedi mind trick Don Garvey into like derailing his own email to praising you? You don't. You don't work on these these tricks for years, Jonesy, and just give them out for free. You know, you hone them. You hone them. Razor sharp. Wake up, Jonesy. <laughs> God, Jonesy is such an a pictured, right guy. I just pictured Slim saying that. <laughs> Wake up. Next letter hmm. comes from uh, King of the Letter Writers. Don, Gar- Don Garvey also does a podcast. We should throw that out there because, you know, the only reason anyone ever emails a show is to get their plugs out. <laughs> That's not they true. Better, they better say not whatever they, they're working on. Don Garvey does the Echo Riff podcast. Uh, what is, doesn't Ren Mike D have a podcast, too? He does a Skyrim podcast. He does the Skyrim oh, yeah. Addict, one of the best video game podcasts. Sean Miller. Uh, released. Hot, talented artist. You seen those sketches he was doing for the previous episodes? Oh my god, that Robin I'm surprised you didn't DM him, uh, throwing him some some of that. Gen I was Z, having a one arm J fest. Are you kidding me? That right Gen now? Z caviar cash, sending that his way. Toast points. Hashtag toast All points. All right, I'm done. Thank you. Uh, sup, peeps? Any thoughts on the Cap Three movie reveal? Very intrigued by this decision. 
Civil War was such a crazy book, not sure how it could be done in movie form. In regard to Slim's accident this week, you shouldn't have hired somebody from Craigslist, Jonesy. They're very unreliable. Did you see a vision of Mark as you laid on Dale's favorite spot? <laughs> Hashtag cold concrete. <laughs> Seriously, though, glad you're okay, babe. At Dragon Troll on the Twitter. King of the letter writers. I knew Jonesy was behind it the whole time. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, we we just got a, another letter. In off the wire. Hot off the wire. Uh, also from dear friend Sean Gregory Miller. Uh, go visit his website, www.anchorcomics.com. He's, he writes, he's just making the letter longer. He's just trying. <laughs> <laughs> he writes, didn't realize that letter was so long until I heard Dale read it as if he was possessed by the speed force. Apologies. Good thing my uh, basement is constructed of a giant treadmill that sucks all the power of <laughs> Sorry, New Jersey. You outsourced it. You outsourced I did. the work on that. <laughs> I did outsource it. Apologies to anybody's sisters stuck in a hospital waiting for power for their laser their laser <laughs> surgery. <laughs> we the uh, quick thoughts on uh, Captain America three, Civil War, possible Avengers three news. I think it'll be great. Many more movies to come. I'm not going to try to wrap my head around what the uh, the writers of these movies creating magic will do. I, I have my faith in them. I trust them. Bring on uh, bring on the Marvel Civil War with partnership with Sony to get Spider-Man. Oh, there. my gosh. One-arm J-Fed. I'm just went, I'm one-arm jacking it right now. <laughs> my morning jack is playing. <laughs> I'm one-arm jaying, festing, violently. Like I was, uh, like my legs are sweaty in my flannel <laughs> pants here. Oh, God. I just go to town anyway. You don't know what's flannel, what's leg hair. <laughs> I, I, I don't even care anymore. I'm in a state of bliss thinking about Spider-Man and the Marvel Universe. Leave us a review on iTunes if you want. We'll see everybody <laughs> next week. Side chat to a min. A min? Yeah. I, I shortened minimum so we could save time. But the explanation of the shortening. Kind of wasted uh, that I had yeah. to. <laughs> so you guys watch Flash yet? Nope. No. Nope. Nope. Hate the Flash. Love the Flash TV show. Hmm. Really? Why do, you, why do you hate I'm the Flash? I'm an enigma. Why do you hate the Flash? You know, I, I probably, it's not a hate. Let me Strong. backpedal here, patently, for a second. Five seconds, say, it's a new record for I was, backpedal. <laughs> I was just never exposed to any good Flash stories as a kid, so therefore I, I, I never, you know, I never had that bond. Mark Frankton's rolling over in his grave right now. <laughs> it's, it's super speed. He's speed forcing around in that grave. He's creating a little cyclone with his whole body like Flash would create with his arms. His big old sandals around. flapping around on there. <laughs> Man, you remember the one time that I gave Mark 10 bucks to buy a figure and they were like, now we're going to give it to you for free and then Mark kept the 10 bucks? He's a smart <laughs> businessman. Yes. And I ended up giving him a yellow flash 
figure. Man, I'm such a dummy. Let me clip that out, I think. Man, I'm such a <laughs> dummy. Great show. Excellent show. You know what? I, I'm not even bull-essing when I say Gotham Central might be the best DC comic I've ever read. I wonder what yeah. the list is of our favorite DC books, though, really. Hush. Hush is up there. Hush. Num- hush. Uh, hush again. <laughs> He's, yeah, they're all Batman stories, I think. Probably. Well, uh, Birthright. Jesus. Yeah, oh, Birthright. Secret Identity. Oh, oh, Secret Identity. Oh, man. What Secret is that? Secret Identity. I mean, now everyone will have listened to that book club thinking that you just spread your, your bee cheeks all over those books. I'm not sure you can construe that for me saying I like Gotham Central too. Secret Identity is crap. I mean, you said it was I number am, one. You said I have it was a well story podcaster with a history of loving Secret Identity, and it can't be denied with your little troll eyes. You didn't even bring up Birthright. Secret Identity Birthright. or Birthright in that oh, in that book club. It was like it didn't exist. The greatest you know, Superman stories good. ever written. That Mark Millar one where he's well, Red they, Sun. There's stories might as well have been chunks of SE toilet paper that missed the bowl and are just ne- lying next to the toilet waiting to get picked up and uh, Lysol, you know, the floor Lysol. How, how do you come at me when you just talked about violently jang in your flannel pants and taking them off and snapping them against their knee because they're so crusty? Get out of here. I, first of all, the snapping against the knee part, that's totally, you just totally made that up in your head. <laughs> I, that what was never Josie even brought doing up. I am, look, when he's I am just deflecting. Just trying to snapping my Jade pants across my own knee. <laughs> you th- you you just thought of that. You, that was in your head as something I said. Listen, listen. <laughs> <laughs>